as I look back over the last few months. Some people did COVID-19 lockdown good. How many people did COVID lockdown good? All right, how many people did it not so good? Yeah, come on, the honest one, the honest ones, the honest ones. I rang up, I rang up my son uh, yesterday, had a chat to him and his wife in Sydney. Uh, he was just happy just to be on his computer and uh, isolated away. His wife's going crazy. <laughs> she, she doesn't like it at all. She wants, she wants contact. But the one thing that I can say for certain is that lockdown either brought the best of us out or the worst of us out, okay? So when the pressure and the squeeze comes on you, what comes out? The sweet fragrance of the Holy Spirit or something less savoury sometimes. <laughs> uh, for some people, though, lockdown really accentuated their fears. Uh, now, we all need a bit of healthy fear to keep us from doing something stupid or from recklessness. How many people have ever done something stupid or reckless? Uh, one of my, how many people know Hamilton and the bridges that go across Hamilton? And you know the big arches on the bridges? Well, one of my boys, who will not be named, um, climbed over the arches. That And I think, where the heck did he get that from? And then I think of the times that my mum bought me chemicals so that I could make things like nitrogen triiodide, which is touch powder. And I remember one time I made this touch powder. I had a drying in the garage. And then all I hear was, bang, 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 as a cat walked over the touch powder <laughs> and it blew up. Oh, poor cat. Everyone say, poor cat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I put chemicals in my hand. I did some interesting things. And I'm happy to teach any of the young kids all about that at another time. And my wife's saying not. But um, the reality is that uh, fear, fear can imprison. Fear can dishearten. Fear puts hopelessness in our hearts. Some people fear failure. Some people fear what other people think. Uh, we fear what the future holds. We fear financial insecurity. We fear sickness or death. The list goes on and on. And the enemy can really, really use those fears as a foothold to paralyze us. I mean, there's a whole pile of fear out there in the community. The only, those of you who saw the news last night, did you see that article about Aussie having panic buying? still in the supermarkets, and the, the supermarket shelves absolutely bare because people are really, really scared stiff of um, what's happening out there. But hey, tonight we serve a God that drives out all fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Our Savior is greater than any pandemic, is greater than any natural disaster or anything we'll ever face, the creator of the universe is on our side, and the same power that conquered the grave and raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. I mean, how awesome, how awesome is that? If COVID-19 could change the world in a month, what could the God of the universe do in your world 
in a moment. Fear not is the most repeated command in the Bible. God knew that we would be battling fear. God knew that we would have enemies against us. God knew that there would be battles in our life that we would have to overcome. And so he says and repeats time and time again, fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid. You see, the antidote to fear is faith in God. And I want to live out of faith and not fear. I want my decisions to be made based on faith. I want to step out and stand up for God and not shrink back at all, but step into that good plan and that good future that God has for us. It's time to live out those plans and it's time to live with courage and confidence and fearless faith. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we just thank you that you don't give us a spirit of fear, but you give us power, love and a sound mind. And this this afternoon, God, we just pray that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit on us afresh and you would just wipe away fear from our lives and help us to put our trust in you, help us to be guided by you, help us, Lord, to place ourselves afresh in your hands so that your plans and your purposes for our lives can come to pass. And when he asks this in Jesus' precious name, amen. I want to look at a passage in Matthew 15 that shows us an example of fearless faith. And it's the story of a desperate parent. And desperation and love can drive us to do things that we normally wouldn't even consider doing. So we're going to read uh, from verse 21 and, uh, of Matthew 15, and it says this. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Wow. Wow, wow. Uh, I love that. I I love that this lady had such great faith. And remember, she wasn't a Jew. She wasn't brought up knowing the Messiah. She had simply heard about him and the wonderful miracles that he performed. So her faith was great for the little amount of light and the truth that she's been given. She used every ounce of faith that she had to come to Jesus and persist until she got her miracle. She, she didn't let fear of failure or fear of what others might say stop her. She had fearless faith. And that fearless faith got her the results that she desperately needed. You see, it's, it's this kind of faith that I want to focus on this afternoon. There, there are only two people that are listed in the Bible that Jesus praises specifically for their great faith. There was the Roman centurion 
and there was this Canaanite woman. And what's interesting is that neither of them were Jews. Neither of them were people that grew up supposedly having a relationship with God. They were people just like us. They didn't grow up knowing the Bible, and they didn't grow up knowing all about God. And there are three things about this woman that I see that will help us and help others become people of fearless faith. And the first one of these is that she believed that Jesus was the answer to her problem. People say, well, what's faith? And Hebrews 11 verse 6 gives us that definition. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is simply believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Somehow, this woman heard from someone about Jesus. And this afternoon, you not, might not be someone like this woman who's got a great need, but you can be a someone. You can be a somebody who points somebody else that's got a great need to Jesus. She believed what that someone had said about Jesus was true. She believed fully that Jesus could and would heal her daughter. And because she believed, she was willing to do whatever it took to get close enough to Jesus to receive her miracle. And because she believed and was willing to act in a countercultural way, in a way that caused the disciples to try and get her sent away, because she believed, she received. You know, if we believed every word in the Bible, our lives would be completely different. In fact, if we just believed, that much of the Bible, because that's the New Testament, if we just believe that much of the Bible, our lives would be completely changed. Many of us do believe, but we're like that man in Mark chapter 9, whose son was having epileptic fits and he comes to Jesus and um, the Lord says, do you believe? And he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think every one of us at times have hurdles of unbelief that we have to get over. And what God wants to teach us to do is to grow in our faith. And what he wants us in each and every situation to do is go as far as our faith can carry us. And if that still doesn't carry us over the situation or over the problem, then he encourages in his word to get someone, get alongside someone who's got bigger faith that can help us up and over uh, that hurdle. Romans 10 verse 17 says, So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, faith grows when we hear God speak to us. I was thinking just the other day about being at a Black power funeral when God spoke to me in his audible voice and said, how many more young men will die before you'll preach my word? 
Wow. It didn't take any faith to go home and tell Penny that I needed to leave my job and I needed to become a preacher. It didn't take any faith because God had spoken to me. And so it just was the natural thing to do to follow what God had already said. I did check it out with my, uh, with my pastor. But the reality is it wasn't a huge leap. It wasn't a huge hurdle. Once I had heard the voice of God, following it became really, really, really easy. Uh, what we hear and listen to shapes our lives. If we're listening to the media and believing all they say all the time, then that's going to lead to fear and uncertainty. How many, how many people know that not everything you read in the newspaper paper or everything you read in the internet is true? All right? <laughs> there used to be a time when there was this news organization called Reuters. Anyone ever heard of Reuters? Some of the older one would have. And basically Reuters had set them up as a news organization with an impeccable, with an impeccable record. Everything that they wrote about was the truth. By the way, now only 5% of what Reuters does is actually reporting. They shifted into other areas, but it, it used to be the gold standard of reporting. Nowadays, there are whole websites of fact-checking and myth-busting because there is so much rubbish printed in Facebook, uh, so much stuff on YouTube, there's so much stuff on the internet that is just absolutely... Anyone can could, anyone could put anything up there. And, I mean, even Wikipedia. You can write stuff into Wikipedia which they will accept and it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. So we need to be careful. We need to be able to discern fact from opinion okay when you're reading stuff on the net say is this fact or is this opinion because you'll find that a whole heap of it is just absolute rubbish so what are we going to listen to we're going to listen to what God's saying we need to listen to the right voices and so it's really important uh, because what we listen to is going to influence our feelings and our responses the Bible is God's personal letter to us. It's from the president of all presidents. We have the letter of all letters. We need to read it. We need to learn it. We need to study it. We need to think on it. We need to let it shape our lives. And it doesn't matter how many times you've read this. I've probably read this through at least 50 times. But... The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And every week I'm reading stuff in here which I'm thinking, wow, I've never seen that before. And I'm thinking, how come I've missed it the last 49 times? I was telling the guys this morning that I read a passage in um, Two Kings where Elijah calls for a harp, and as the harpist is playing, he gets the word of the Lord. The anointing of God comes on him, and he can hear what God is saying to him. I'd never read that before. And I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing. Our musicians are so anointed that they can play 
and we can sense the presence of God while they're praying. You can be playing a worship song, and as you're playing that worship song, the presence of God can come down, and you can hear His voice, and you can sense His presence, and you can be so encouraged. God uses things like that to draw us close to Him. So, the Bible will literally guide and lead us through life's problems. Faith comes by hearing God's word, hearing about his power, hearing about his promises, his love, his faithfulness. To grow in faith, we need to constantly be reading, listening to, praying and declaring the word of God. And this book is the key to fearless faith. But then we need to put our faith into action. And this woman not only believes that Jesus is the answer, she cries out to Jesus for help. Uh, This mum was absolutely desperate. Her daughter was demon-possessed. I mean, most of us have thought at times our kids have been demon-possessed. Isn't that right? Yeah. Anna's got both her hands up there, and most of us have. But but for this lady, her daughter actually was demon-possessed. And I can't even begin to imagine how hard that must have been to live with, to watch, to cope with. In the Passion Translation, it says, She screamed out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. In the book of James, it says that we have not because we ask not. And we need to grow in confidence in God and keep crying out to God for our needs and also for the needs of our loved ones because we need to stand in the gap and intercede for them. Uh, It was impossible for this woman's daughter to break through for herself. In fact, most of the great miracles that you see happen to people who couldn't grasp those miracles for themselves. Lazarus was dead when he was raised. Jairus' daughter was dead when she was raised. The epileptic boy was in the middle of having a fit when he was healed. Most of these ones, it was somebody else coming to Jesus and asking them for his grace and favor. You know, parents need to stand in the gap for their kids. That's what God calls us to do. That's what God anoints us to do for our kids and our family. Penny and I have just seen some amazing miracles over the years in answers to prayer for our kids. And most of the time, our kids wouldn't even know that we're praying for them. But we do it anyway. Because a lot of times, they weren't in a place where they would break through for themselves. But we can. And God calls us to stand in the gap and pray for our friends, for our neighbors, for our family. And as we intercede, and as we stand in the gap with faith, God answers. One of the great things that we can do is intercede for our kids. The Bible says Jesus didn't answer this lady a word. 
he acted like he didn't hear her. It's not like she was doing anything wrong. She was humble. She was reverent. She was in great need. She called him Lord or Sir, but yet he didn't say anything. But one of the great attributes of this woman was that she didn't give up. She persevered and didn't give up. Many of us would have given up when Jesus didn't respond and our faith in him would have been shaken. But what we need to see here is that despite what it looked like, Jesus wasn't ignoring the woman. He wasn't being mean. It's more like he could see a rare treasure of faith in her life. And he was both testing her and patiently digging it out. You know, one of the verses in James, the beginning of James, is probably one of the worst verses in the Bible. I said to the people this morning that I thought that James must have been on drugs when he wrote it, because he said, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you have problems or trials of various kinds. I mean, how many people here like trials? How many people here like problems? You know, none of us do. And yet James says, in a moment of madness, he says, hey, count it joy when you're in the middle of all these problems. He says that because... In James 1.3, it says that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And perseverance leads us to becoming mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So if you want to become mature, if you want to grow up, if you want to be complete, if you want to be lacking in nothing, then you've actually got to go through situations and circumstances that stretch you. You've got to go through situations and circumstances that will cause your faith to grow. If you want to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, then there's going to be some trials that you're going to have to overcome. There's going to be some battles that you, you have to win. And you can't win a battle unless you're actually in the battle. You can't win a battle unless there's an enemy. You can't actually win most battles unless there is a battle that you can lose. And so, one of the things that helps us to win these battles of life, one of the things that helps us to grow up, actually, is perseverance. It's holding on. It's holding on. It's holding on. I think it's an amazing image of God that Jesus saw what no one else saw in this woman. And he brought out the best of her. Meanwhile, if the disciples were being tested on compassion at the same time, they failed miserably. All they did was complain to Jesus and say, hey, get rid of her. She's too much of a hassle. The woman knew that she had no right to ask a Jewish man for help. She knew that she had no basis for expecting him to respond. But, and I love those but moments in God, but she heard that Jesus was a miracle worker, that he was mighty and compassionate, and she was desperate, so she carries on with her quest. You know, the Bible's full of stories about persistence. There's the friend who comes at midnight. There's the woman with the issue of blood. 
there's the persistent widow and the unjust judge. In fact, at the beginning of that parable in Luke 18, Jesus tells his disciples that he's telling them this parable so that they should always pray and never give up. And the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, to push, pray until something happens. Perseverance or persistence and faith go hand in hand. Faith says, keep going, don't give up, believe the promises, hold on, hold on to Jesus. When we're ready to give up, remember this woman, remember the situation that she faced and hold on to hope, hold on to Jesus. And then do perhaps what this woman did when Jesus wasn't responding. What did she do? She got down on her knees. The King James Version actually says she worshipped him. She worshipped him. What do you do when God's silent? Start focusing on him. Start worshipping him. Start thanking him that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords the creator of the universe. Get your eyes off your problem. Get it on to the one who is the answer to your problem. Then Jesus spoke to the woman and said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. That's not a very nice thing to say, is it? I mean, in jest I say to people sometimes, you dirty rotten dog. I only say that to people that I really like. <laughs> oh, dear me. That's true. We've got a confession here. We've got a confession in the front row of incompetence in playing 500. <laughs> yeah. But he basically says to her, It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What kind of a statement is that? I mean, on the surface of it, it sounds pretty insulting. It sounds like Jesus is calling her a dog. But this lady knew that the Jews were the children of God. And the Gentiles, in their minds, were dogs. That's how they saw their world. The Jews saw God's blessing as the children's bread. Okay? But here's where it gets interesting. There there are two Greek words for for dog. And Jesus didn't use the Greek word for some old stray dog. Instead used the other one, which basically meant a little family pet. Okay? So rather than totally insulting this woman, Jesus was actually giving her a glimmer of hope. And she latches onto it straight away. She's already figured out that that silence doesn't mean no. And especially when Jesus never actually told her to go away. And now he uses the word for a pet dog. And she sees the door open just the tiniest of crack. And she puts her foot in it like a flash. And realizing that a pet dog has a master, she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In fact, if we go back to those um, verses, she, she actually disagrees with Jesus because he says, he says to her, she says, it's not right 
to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she replies, yes, it is, Lord. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she is realizing that even a dog has a master. And pet dogs have a master who cares for them and provides for them. So she's, she's saying to Jesus, you're that master. She also understood that anyone who owns a dog leaves the food that falls to the floor for the dog. Isn't that true, Chris? Yeah, anyone who's got a dog knows that. My, my kids have got this little chihuahua or anything, a <laughs> ball of fluff. And when we go around for dinner, um, he, he sits there with his big brown eyes looking at you and his tongue hanging out. And he's just, ah, please, please, just anything. I mean, how can you resist him? So you just cut off a little bit of meat and you just drop it down on the floor by mistake <laughs> so that he can have it. Uh, but basically, that's, that's the picture. That's the picture that's being um, painted here. She knew that she only needed one crumb of Jesus' blessing. She didn't need a whole life, a whole loaf. She didn't even need a whole slice. She said, don't give me the children's bread. Just let me pick up a crumb that's fallen on the floor, a crumb of your blessing, a crumb of your power. That's enough for me. She believed that the tiniest little crumb of what Jesus had was more than enough to heal her daughter. And that's when Jesus says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed that very moment. Come on, let's have the musicians up, please. That's amazing, isn't it? What do you need? What, what do you need fearless faith for today? Is it for your family to get saved? Is it for healing? Is it for breakthrough? Do you need a financial breakthrough or a job? Is there, is there someone that you need to stand in the gap for? Whenever I talk about standing in the gap, I always remember the Saturday night when I had a phone call in 2000 the sermon that I was preaching on on the Sunday was a sermon which I entitled Dream Again and the Saturday night as I was preparing it I had a phone call from my eldest son's flatmate to tell me that Pete was in the intensive care ward of the psychiatric hospital in Westmead in Sydney. Apparently he'd been up Coffs Harbour surfing and he got caught in a rip and he got taken out and he was out there for hours. They were about to call the Coast Guard and he somehow managed to get in but he was hypothermic, and not only that, but 
when he was in a place where he thought he was going to drown and not survive, it's like he started to blame God. And then on the trip back to Sydney, he just lost touch with reality. When he got home, they called the ambulance. They rushed him into hospital. And when I spoke to the doctors, the doctors told me what the situation was and told me that they were planning on doing electroshock therapy on him on the Monday morning, which in their mind was the most severe treatment that they could give anybody in that situation. I begged them not to carry that treatment out until I got over there. I had to preach on the Sunday, packed up, and we had two services on a Sunday morning at that stage. I preached on dream again and it's the only time that I've had people come back and listen to that message again in the second service it was just God because I was completely out of it I flew over to Sydney when I got there I went straight to the hospital to visit Pete and he'd just had a session of shock treatment when I saw him, he was eating a meal for the first time in a few days and he was just like an empty shell no emotion you know we joke about people being all the lights on but nobody home inside and seriously that's what he was like it was just absolutely nothing nothing, no response, I said to him do you know who I am and he looked up at me and he said you're my father and he went on eating his sweet picks, just absolutely nothing. I stayed with him as much as I could over the next couple of days, and as we talked about bits and pieces, I could, I could see that he was starting to get a little bit better, but he had these weird thoughts, and he was focused on things like the unforgivable sin and uh, these other things, and... Uh, that was a difficult situation and it became more difficult because that Thursday he had to go before the magistrate because in the Australian health system if you're going to commit a patient to a mental institution for continued therapy you have to be committed by a magistrate I was with Pete on the Thursday morning and then I had to leave him for lunch because it was a locked lock-up situation and so there was no visitors allowed while they were having their meals I went back to my hotel room and I just bawled I just cried and I said God when I gave up my job to become a minister you promised me that you would look after my kids and here's Pete now with all his dreams and all the things that you've promised him looking like they are going to be destroyed. When Pete was baptized here, a local prophetic minister came and saw Pete riding this huge, huge, huge wave. When Pete left school, he said, Dad, I don't want to go to university. He said, I have this heart to lead people 
in worship. I believe God's going to allow me to lead thousands of people in worship. And so I, I don't want to go to university. I want to save up enough money so I can go to Bible college in Sydney. And that's what he was doing. I went back, picked him up after lunch to go down to the magistrate's hearing with him. And as I talked with him, I noticed that there was something different. He seemed to be in his right mind. We went into the meeting and the magistrate began to question him and she could tell it was something had happened too. And this left her in a great dilemma. She paused the magistrate's hearing and she called up the patient advocate and the um, hospital advocate for a side meeting. And she got out her her law book and when she came back to the meeting she said this she said I'm reluctant to commit this young man to this mental institution because it will go on his work record permanently she said I can see that something has happened here so what I'm going to do is I'm going to postpone this meeting for two weeks in the hope that this young man will get some more treatment and things may be resolved. That was a word of wisdom. That was a miracle. Two days later, Pete and I were back in Whangarei. It took him probably another five months before he felt 100% right. The shock treatment closed down his spontaneous creativity and so the things that he did automatically when playing the keyboard and everything else he had to really think about and he had to work through for the next four or five months he had no way of breaking through for himself but Penny praying back here and interceding for him with a friend and my praying over there in Sydney worked a miracle that it was absolutely impossible for it to come through any other means. So what's Pete doing today? Well, since that time, Pete's played on over 50 albums. He toured for five years as the main keyboard player with Hillsong United. Every Hillsong album that's been produced over the last decade, Pete's played keyboards on. Every Sunday, he is at church, volunteering his time now to the church to lead people in worship. He's toured the world. He has run conferences all over the world for keyboard players and worshipers. He has followings in the tens of thousands on his, on his Facebook pages. And he's recognized worldwide as one of the leaders in song creativity in terms of... Um, patches and other things that are quite technical. God gave him a dream and enabled him to dream again because other people stood in the gap. And you may know people that you need to stand in the gap for tonight. If you've got kids or if you've got family members that need a breakthrough, 
I, I really want you to stand to your feet right now because I'm going to pray with you. I've got faith to believe that God can break through. I've got faith because He did it in my life. He did it in my kid's life. And I know that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, hears the heart cry of mums and dads and brothers and sisters, of neighbours, of workmates. He hears our cry and he's moved. And with this woman, he was moved enough to speak the word so that her daughter was completely set free. And right now, just as Isaac and Ellie sing, you're worthy of it all. I want you just to lift your hands and I want you just to lift that person. Picture yourself lifting that person and giving that person to Jesus and saying, Jesus, heal. Jesus, break through. Jesus, we need a miracle. Can you do that? Can you lift that person to the Lord? Come on, let's just do that.